Chapter Sixteen of The Long Shadow by B. M. Bower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter Sixteen Self Defense. The wagons of the double crank had stopped to tarry over the fourth at Fighting Wolf Spring, which bubbles from under a great rock in a narrow draw that runs itself out to a cherry masked point halfway up the side of Fighting Wolf Butte. Billy with wisdom born of much experience in the ways of a round-up crew when the fourth of july draws near started his riders at day dawn to rake all fighting wolf on its southern side better catch up your ridge runners he had cautioned cause i'll set you plumb afoot if you don't the boys knowing well his meaning and that the circle that day would be a big one over rough country saddled their best horses and settled themselves to a hard day's work Till near noon they rode, and branded after dinner to the tune of much scurrying and bawling and a great deal of dust and rank smoke, urged by the ever-present fear that they would not finish in time. But their leader was fully as anxious as they, and had timed the work so that, by four o'clock, the herd was turned loose, the fires drenched with water, and the branding irons put away. At sundown, the long slope from Fighting Wolf Spring was dotted for a space with men, fresh-shaven, clean-shirted, and otherwise rehabilitated, galloping eagerly towards Hardup, fifteen miles away. That they had been practically in the saddle since dawn was a trifle not to be considered. They would dance until another dawn to make up for it. Hardup, decked meagerly in the colors that spell patriotism, was unwontedly alive and full of Fourth of July noises. But even with the distraction of a holiday, and a dance just about to start, and the surrounding country emptied of humans into the town, the clatter of the double crank outfit, fifteen wiry young fellows hungry for play, brought men to the doors and into the streets. Charming Billy, because his eagerness was spiced with expectancy, did not stop even for a drink, but made for the hotel. At the hotel he learned that his crowd was over at the hall, and there he hurried so soon as he had removed the dust and straightened his tie and brushed his hair and sworn at his upstanding scalp lock in the corner of the hotel office dedicated to public cleanliness it was a pity that such single-hearted effort must go unrewarded but the fact remains that he reached the hall just as the couples were promenading for the first waltz he was permitted the doubtful pleasure of a welcoming nod from flora as she went by with the pilgrim dill was on the floor with mama joy and at a glance he saw how it was the pilgrim had butted in and come along with them he supposed flora really could not help it but it was pretty hard lines all the same for even in the rangeland are certain rules of etiquette which must be observed when men and women foregather in the pursuit of pleasure billy remembered ruefully how a girl must dance first last and oftenest with her partner of the evening and must eat supper with him besides whether she likes it or not to tweak this rule means to insult the man beyond forgiveness well it wouldn't hurt me none if flora did cut him off short billy concluded his eyes following them resentfully whenever they whirled down to his end of the room the way i've got it framed up i spoke for her first if dilly told her what i said still what he thought privately did not seem to have much effect upon realities flora he afterward saw intermittently while they danced a quadrille together and she made it plain that she had not considered billy as her partner 
how could she when he was trailing around over the country with the round-up and nobody knew whether he would come or not no mr wallen did not come to the ranch so very often she added naively that he was awfully busy he had ridden in with them and why not was there any reason billy though he could think of reasons in plenty turned just then to balance on the corner and swing and to do many other senseless things at the behest of the man on the platform so that when they stood together again for a brief space both were breathless and she was anxiously feeling her hair and taking out side combs and putting them back again and billy felt diffident about interrupting her and said no more about who was her partner an hour or so later he was looking about for her meaning to dance with her again when a man pushed him aside hurriedly and went across the floor and spoke angrily to another billy moving aside so that he could see discovered flora standing up with the pilgrim for the dance in another set that was forming the man who had jostled him was speaking to them angrily but billy could not catch the words he's drunk called the pilgrim to the floor manager put him out several men left their places and rushed over to them because flora was there and likely to be involved billy reached them first this was my dance the fellow was expostulating she promised it to me ah he's drunk repeated the pilgrim turning to billy it's gus svenstrom he's got it in for me because i find him last week throw him out miss bridger isn't going to dance with a drunken stiff like him oh i'll go i ain't so drunk i've got to be carried retorted the other and pushed his way angrily through the crowd flora had kept her place though the color had gone from her cheeks she seemed to have no intention of quitting the quadrille so there was nothing for billy to do but get off the floor and leave her to her partner he went out after the swede and seeing him headed for the saloon across from the hotel followed aimlessly he was not quite comfortable in the hall anyway for he had caught mamma joy eyeing him strangely and he thought she was wondering why he had not asked her to dance charming billy was not by nature a diplomat it never once occurred to him that he would better treat mamma joy as if that half-minute in the kitchen had never been he had said good evening to her when he first met her that evening and he considered his duty done he did not want to dance with her and that was in his opinion an excellent reason for not doing so he did not like to have her watching him with those big round blue eyes of hers so he stayed in the saloon for a while and only left it to go to supper when someone said the dance crowd was over there there might be some chance that would permit him to eat with flora there are moments in a town when even with many people coming and going one may look and see none when billy closed the door of the saloon behind him and started across to the hotel not a man did he see though there was sound in plenty from the saloons and from the hotel and the hall he was nearly half across the street when two men came into sight and met suddenly just outside a window of the hotel billy in the gloom of the starlight and no moon could not tell who they were he heard a sharp sentence or two saw them close together heard a blow then they broke apart and there was the flash of a shot one man fell and the other whirled about as if he would run but billy was then almost upon them and the man turned back and stood looking down at the fallen figure damn him he pulled a knife on me he cried defensively Billy saw that it was the pilgrim. Who is he? he asked and knelt beside the form. The man was lying just where the lamplight streamed out from the window, but his face was in shadow. 
Oh, it's that Swede, he added and rose. I'll get somebody. I believe he's dead. He left the pilgrim standing there and hurried to the door of the hotel office. In any other locality, a shot would have brought on the run every man who heard it. But in a cow town, especially on a dance night, shots are as common as shouts. In Hardup that night, there had been periodical outbursts which no one, not even the women, minded in the least. So it was not until Billy opened the door, put his head in, and cried, Come alive! A fellow's been shot right out here. But there was a stampede for the door. The pilgrim still stood beside the other, waiting. Three or four stooped over the man on the ground. Billy was one of them. He pulled a gun on me, explained the pilgrim. I was trying to take it away from him, and it went off. Billy stood up, and, as he did so, his foot struck against a revolver lying beside the Swede. He looked at the pilgrim queerly, but he did not say anything. They were lifting the Swede to carry him into the office. They knew that he was dead, even before they got him into the light. "'Somebody better get word to the coroner,' said the pilgrim, fighting for self-control. "'It was self-defense. My God, boys, I couldn't help it. He pulled a gun on me. You saw it on the ground there, right where he dropped it.' Billy turned clear around and looked again at the pilgrim, and the pilgrim met his eyes defiantly before he turned away. "'I understood you to say it was a knife,' he remarked slowly. The pilgrim swung back again. "'I didn't. Or—' If I did, I was rattled. It was a gun, that gun on the ground. He met me there and started a row and said he'd fix me. He pulled the gun, and I made a grab for it, and it went off. That's all there is to it. He stared hard at Billy. There was much talk among the men, and several told how they had heard the Swede cussing Walland in the saloon that evening. Some remembered threats, the threats which a man will foolishly make when he is pouring whiskey down his throat by the glassful. No one seemed to blame Walland in the least, and Billy felt that the pilgrim was in a fair way to become something of a hero. It is not every man who has the nerve to grab a gun with which he is threatened. They made a cursory search of the pilgrim and found that he was not armed, and he was given to understand that he would be expected to stay around town until the coroner came and sat on the case. But he was treated to drinks right and left, and when Billy went in to find Flora, the pilgrim was leaning heavily upon the bar with a glass in his hand, and his hat far back on his head, declaiming to the crowd that he was perfectly harmless so long as he was left alone, but he wasn't safe to monkey with, and any man who came at him hunting trouble would sure get all he wanted, and then some. He said he didn't kill people if he could help it, but a man was plumb obliged to sometimes. I'm sure surprised to think I got off with my life last winter when I hazed him away from the line camp. I guess I must have had a close call all right. Billy snorted contemptuously and shut the door upon the wordy revelation of the pilgrim's deep inner nature, which had been, until that night, carefully hidden from an admiring world. The dance stopped abruptly with the killing. People were already going home. Billy, with the excuse that he would be wanted at the inquest, hunted up Jim Bleeker, gave him charge of the roundup for a few days, and told him what route to take. For himself, he meant to ride home with Flora or know the reason why. "'Come along, Dilly, and let's get out of town,' he urged when he had found him. "'It's a kind of small burg, and at the rate the pilgrim is swelling up over what he's done, there won't be room for nobody but him in another hour. He's making me plumb nervous and afraid to be around him, he's so fatal.' "'We'll go at once, William,' 
Walland is drinking a great deal more than he should, but I don't think he means to be boastful over so unfortunate an affair. Do you think you are taking an altogether unprejudiced view of the matter? Our judgment, he added deprecatingly, is so apt to be warped by our likes and dislikes. Well, if that was the case here, Billy told him shortly, I've got dislike enough for him to wind my judgment up like a clock spring. I'll go see if Flora and her mother are ready. In that way he avoided discussing the pilgrim, for Dill was not so dull that he failed to take the hint. End of chapter 16